Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Stefan Krook with me today. Welcome to my podcast, Stefan. Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Stefan is a serial entrepreneur, and back in 2005, he has, um, together with H&M's CEO, Oriflame's founders, and a few others, he has established the foundation Good Cause. And within that framework, he has created several successful for-profit companies, such as Good El for renewable energy, and the fund company Good Fund. Stefan, you are often described as a person who loves to question things and uh, eager to find new smart solutions, solutions that benefit the whole. So, for example, I know that uh, the most recent company, Kivra, is a digital mail company that you've established. How has that worked out so far? Now it's taken off uh, really good in the last maybe two years. Uh, So the company has been around for six years and for the first four years not too much happened if you look back uh, what we're trying to do is to basically offer all Swedes at the moment to change all the important mail they get from banks and authorities and the like to a digital solution which is better for them better for the sender and better for the environment but the problem is when you start such a business is that you can't offer neither the senders or the receivers of the mail a good solution because there are no senders. So Mm. you can't really simplify people's lives, which we want to do for our users. And on the other end, the senders might say, well, we would love to send digital mail, but how many users do you have? We haven't started. So it's it's a big chicken and egg problem that took some hard work to get by. And now we've just sort of already before half year, we have now over half a million Swedes that have changed their habits of important mail, getting snail mail to digital mail, which is one of the biggest digital moments that we have in Sweden right now. Does this exist as a similar at least solution in some other countries? There are similar attempts in many places in the world, not so many successful. There's one market where I would say that they have come the furthest so far, which is Denmark. There it's by law enforced on all inhabitants that they have to have it. Uh-huh. So thereby it, they got by the chicken and egg problem and got everyone to, to adopt. However, I believe that the, the Swedish way of doing it will give us a lot better solution, both for the senders and the receivers. And we hope to now get the chances to export our solution to more markets. Wow, so that's going to be interesting to follow and see. When, when do you think this expansion could, could happen? There will be lots of research and meetings taking place that have started. We might even meet in Milan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we have contacts now in several markets. We won't be able to do lots of markets. And quite frankly, to be honest, we don't know yet if there will be any other market. Uh But uh, the dream is that we manage. Uh But it's really an infrastructure we're building. So to come to Germany or Italy, we don't believe that we can be the Swedes building the German or Italian infrastructure that really is the infrastructure for all important messages from all important companies and authorities. So we need to get partnerships going 
mm-hmm. in order for it to get credibility locally. You have made several co-investments with Carl Yuan Persson, the CEO of H&M. What has brought the two of you together and, and what are you focusing on right now together? It was the Good Cause Foundation that you mentioned that we co-founded that brought us together. I had had the dream to create Good Cause and uh, wanted to team up with my my role model entrepreneurs and wanted to meet his father actually who used to be the CEO and now is the chairman of, of uh, H&M. Kolyuan didn't even work at H&M at the time. But Kolyuan joined a board at Stockholm School of Entrepreneurship. There is a, an organization trying to help uh, people to start businesses and he joined the board. I was already on the board. And then I mailed him before the first meeting and said that I have an idea which I would like to present to your father, but could we have a meeting and I present it to you and if you like it, maybe you can open the door. That turned out that we had actually five meetings. He was living in, in London at the time. So we met a couple of times in Stockholm and a couple of times in London. Uh-huh. And in the fifth meeting, I, I said to Kolyuan that uh, it seems like you really like these ideas. And uh, if you would like to be part of it, I, I don't want to meet your father any longer. I would like you to join. So really, we, the Good Cause Foundation was founded by four people. And uh, Kolyuan and I are similar age. Uh-huh. So we have been very close. And I was CEO of Godiel, the electricity company. He was chairman when I was managing director of the fund management company. He was uh-huh. on that board. So we became very tight. And, and uh, then some five years ago now, because this is already 13 years ago or something that we met. Uh-huh. Uh, but some five years ago, I had the urge to also make some entrepreneurial investments beside good cause. And I had already previously in my life figured out that I don't like to do things on my own. And uh, so th- then we actually decided to team up again. So everything that I do, basically, I do with Kolyuan. Mm. So we have a joint, a part of the Good Cause Foundation where he's still active together with me. We have a separate investment company together and, and everything I do, we co-invest in. I was thinking about these for-profit companies, actually, with with this kind of clear agenda together to make the world a better place. They're a bit special, uh, actually, just to point out. They're for-profit uh, companies, but we give all dividends to good causes. So it's yeah. nothing going back to them. So that's really, mm. we do renewable energy, mm. but the really special thing about the good cause companies are that everything, all dividends, everything that normally goes to shareholders is instead going to good causes, and it's the customers that choose yeah. to which good causes it's supposed to go. And, and that's really, truly, truly impressive that you've always given away the entire dividend for these charitable purposes. But I must ask, in what way is that the best way to do good for as a company? I mean, because you could yeah, yeah, also yeah, yeah. argue that that amount of, of profit could be reinvested in order to make the company you know, grow mm. and do whatever it's supposed to do as a task for the society, for the... Mm. So what are these or advantages or disadvantages so far with this formula? It wasn't set up in order to have the answer on what's the best thing to do on, on Earth. It was set out from an urge to mm. try to do good through entrepreneurship. And I liked the idea and so did the other founders of actually giving everything to good causes. Then you can be good in the business as well, doing renewable energy rather than dirty energy. But the odd thing was to give everything away. And that has disadvantages that, like, that you are hinting. And, and it, it's harder to scale such a business. And uh, so it depends. I think when you want to do good through entrepreneurship or business, you have to figure out which model you're using, depending on what you want to accomplish. Personally, I kind of 
see three different models. One is where you actually have a societal problem and instead of founding an, uh, an NGO that needs to get more money given to it all the time in order to be sustainable, you try to create a business model that actually solves the problem. That's Mohammed Yunus uh, that got the Nobel Peace Prize for Grameen Bank and, and mm. he talks about social business, which he defines then as no loss, no dividend. It gets sustainable because it doesn't lose money yeah. and it can continue to good. But it doesn't, it's also hard to scale because it's, it's typically just reinvested in keeping it going. The good cost model is creating resources, which companies can do, create resources for shareholders. But in, in this case, we create the resources and give it to good causes. So that's an indirect model uh, of doing mm. good. Mm. And the third one is more like Kivra, where, where, where you have a... There's, now Kivra can do lots of things, but for me, the, the initial driver was the envi environmental impact. It's, it's a real ways to use trees to make envelopes and letters and sending them around in, in cars, in transportation, you can, it doesn't take too much imagination that you can actually do it better for both the senders and the receivers, but it needs some entrepreneurship to make it happen. And there we have the capitalistic model. So there it's an investment. We have the, the Wallenbergs have invested in it and together with Kalju One and I, they also want to improve the world. So they like that touch of it, but we believe that the Kivra can become a very good business model and then Hopefully, we can also find the partnership to scale it and do more environmental impact. And there we have at least identified and, and have what is sometimes referred to as a sweet spot where more environmental impact goes exactly hand in hand with more financial success. Yeah. So since we have a, a model where we let the senders pay a digital stamp, so to say, the more letters we get them to convert to digital, the more money we make but the more environmental impact we also make by substituting sort of physical letters to digital letters. So that, and that scales, if you get that beyond break even, that scales. Mm -hmm. Just in general, sort of normal capitalism is the best thing for scaling things in, in my view, mm -hmm. but you, you need to direct the power of it to, to a good cause. That's mm -hmm. not done automatically in, in capitalism. You've also claimed that companies who donate the dividend are also more likely not to waste money because they know that the entire profit goes to charity. And, and in addition that, you know, such companies can have maybe competitive edge as well as people often offer maybe to work for them, even, you know, free of mm, charge mm. because they want to be engaged or involved in something. The risk has always been and is still an issue that you attract people with the right hearts and right attentions, but in order to do good in business, you need to be a professional exactly. business team. And when you start taking things out of ordinary capitalism, you risk that. But if you manage it correctly, you can get the culture where basically an extra cost is you can get everyone in, in the team to see if we overspend on this party or whatever, yeah. uh, mm. that's basically money away from helping those children that we visited in the children's village in, in Africa. Mm. And if you get that into the culture, you can, of course, be stronger than an NGO, or you can be stronger yeah. than a normal company. Yeah. Mm. But let's um, go back to you, you as a person, because it's always intriguing and, and, and interesting to understand, you know, the drivers behind a person. Let's start with the... A question about, I would define passion as something that you're also willing to suffer for, you know, something that is really, truly important, not just enjoyable and fun. 
that passion for me would be to try to do good through entrepreneurship, start run companies, inspire companies, inspire others, but most of all, trying to do good companies myself actively. And that came out of thinking some 15 years ago that I basically only have one talent. I'm lousy at most things, but I'm more convinced now that I actually have a talent to start and run sort of entrepreneurial companies. No entrepreneurship comes without sacrifice. So it is a passion. I, I love to do it, but I'm also prepared to suffer a bit on, on those journeys because there is no startup without hiccups and mm. tough times and mm. tears. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sometimes I was reflecting about this thing that for people who are, you know, good at pretty many things, actually, it must be difficult for them to understand where do I, you know, stand out and what is so special about me? And normally when you swim in your own waters, you don't have that kind of perspective on yourself. So it's difficult to understand what could be your passion or, or talent as well. Whilst, as you say, if you feel that there is one thing that is truly, truly clear to you that it, you're good at, at kind of finding solutions and resolving them via entrepreneurship, that must be also a blessing really to know that uh, because then you can spend all your energy and your focus on that and, and not, you know, be, feel frustrated. I 100% agree. And, and it <laughs> typically sounds funny when you say it, people laugh at you a little bit, but actually really define. I think personally, it's sort of, you are somehow obliged to use the gifts you have yeah. and make the most of them. And if you have many, you get confused. So I, I agree. It's easier to become happy if you have less, <laughs> if you have less talent or narrow talent, yeah. I would think. Do you have a certain, let's call it dream right now that you, you want to see materialize? The biggest dream would probably be in, uh, that I'm sort of involved in in somehow is, is, is a large picture where I would like to see sort of the business community in the world to really, really, really contribute a lot to making the world a better place. And that's a huge transformation. More practically, I'm, do, I'm working with such companies that could serve as examples. And somewhere in between, together with some other people, including here at Norwegian, where we are, uh, we have started a, a kind of network that we call Tech for Good, where we basically, we've had meetings at other companies with a separate agenda that they should also explain how they try to make good the world a better place and what they are doing concretely, what they've done successfully mm. and what they've failed in doing. And the purpose of this is, of course, to just get this agenda in everyone's heads. Everyone that's having such a meeting at, at their company needs to think it through a little bit again. And everyone being there listening can be inspired and learn. And, and, mm. and the goal of this network is to contribute to maybe practically here in Stockholm, make Stockholm the best, the most recognized place in the world to create sustainable, great tech companies, mm. but not social entrepreneurship, but rather entrepreneurship that is also social, mm. also caring, although it's not sort of like good cause giving all the dividends to good causes or, mm. or stuff like that. What do you think about all the beautiful steps that H&M is taking as a huge global company? I think they're just you know, purely revolutionizing uh, their part of their, the industry, textile industry, yeah. in an amazing way. Uh, what's your take on that? He would hate me saying that it's his leadership, but basically the first investment he made was the investment or donation to good cause. And he's, mm -hmm. he's been a social entrepreneur 
and that was what attracted him. The, the discussions we had on what corporate culture could do, what the purpose of a company could be. So I'm not surprised, but I'm proud to see that he's, he's actually doing it in, in H&M as well. Mm. No, but it's really taking the circular economy model in full, uh, which is a big, big step. Well, what turning points in your life have influenced you the most? The turning point that influenced me the most was uh, that I had started a company still during my studies called GlocalNet and had a very quick development, was a very innovative company. It turned out to be a more market-driven company. We were stock-listed. I was still CEO and I was still very young. And at some point there, I actually wanted to leave as CEO and brought it up with my owners or the owners. And uh, they told me that you probably, you're just young and you, you, you just need to take a few months and <laughs> think about it. You probably want to stay. So obviously I followed that senior advice. And, but, but after a couple of months, I brought it up with the, in the right forum, so to say, in the board and said that uh, I would like to resign. I would like, like us to, to look for a new CEO. But this was, now we're kind of, after summer year 2000. And uh, that was sort of, all of those months had, um, was a big change. Uh, sort of IT telecoms uh, dot com had peaked at uh, spring year 2000. And now we're going very quickly downhill financially, you know. So, mm. so, uh, so but, but we didn't know that, of, of course, that it would continue at the time. So, so a recruitment process was started. Mm. But it had to be abandoned a couple of months later because we realized we will never find a great CEO under these circumstances. We are out of cash in uh, one and a half quarters and uh, we're making the biggest losses ever. And at that situation, I stayed on because that was then, then we were able to finance the company and I loved the company. So it just, I just had to refocus what I wanted to do with personally and, and take on this journey. And that journey broke the biggest dream of being a great employer where I had naively high standards on what that meant. But I had to ask 11 people that have been loyal, great, that were lovely people, great people, great at work, great as colleagues and everything. And I had to ask them that they would tell them that we don't have a job for them any longer. And I also had spent about a day a week in Denmark. We had a business starting there, which was marvelously prepared to, to, to launch in Denmark. And I had to go down there and tell them that uh, you would not be able to launch mm. with pulling the plug. And I was crying in front of the, all the personnel. And after that, basically, I felt that the personnel was carrying me on their shoulders for about a year. And then we were kind of more back on track and we could recruit my replacement. And GlocalNet sort of had a good development from, from them. Mm. So that was a big turning wow. point. It made, it caused, mm. it, when I was finally able to, to step out, uh, I went back to, to school. I, I wrote a thesis about corporate culture, which was a big self-therapy project. And that led to the ideas eventually to do what I'm good at, which I still concluded was entrepreneurship. But I would have to do it with a bigger meaning than trying to make money out of it, which became the Good Cause Foundation, if you uh -huh. extrapolate a little bit. Uh -huh. And that um, thesis that you did, uh, as you called it, self-therapy, yeah. what, what was the you know, conclusions you put in there? I wrote about what I called belief cultures, where everybody in the organization feels for the organization and its missions like it was their own baby. Yeah. 
Yeah. And out of that comes a lot of strength, uh, collective uh, commitment, collective self-confidence. Uh, you can believe anything is possible. You have you can have lousy self-confidence yourself, but together with all the other dressed in the same color with blue at IKEA, you can change the world. Everything is possible. Yeah. But there are also drawbacks and risks. What um, long-term solutions for business do you believe in right now, today? Yeah. What is the formula that would work better? Kivra is different. Kivra is a normal capitalistic company where, we, as I said, we've, we've, we've got the sweet spot of combining the good purpose with profit. Yeah. That's, I think, is the probably the best way to scale doing good. But it's not so easy to find those. Yeah. But uh, in general, I think just like I think the, the, the biggest key, and that's going back to the thesis again, is the culture is the key. Yeah. And if we can change the corporate cultures a little bit, it doesn't have to be remade completely, but get some more humanity into corporate culture in the sense that, although we would love to say, I don't think neither you or me could say that we are not egoistic. We are also egoistic as persons, but we're not only egoistic. And, and the corporate model and the corporate culture has been an egoistic version. And they have to be egoistic. Because you can't invite the corporations in to solve world problems if they're not allowed to make a profit. They need to make, and that's the egoistic driver. But if, if it could become natural in, in, in more companies' cultures that, yes, we want to make a profit, we need to make money, but we also want to change the world, we also want to make good, just like we as humans are both. But all the corporate yeah. models that were taught, at least when I went to school, was a simplified model where sort of uh, which was about profit maximization. Mm. And now I know there's lots of new theories that are blending this. But personally, I believe that culture is the key and it doesn't mm. have to be that complicated. It's, it's just about that. It should be as natural to try to do good through your own business model, because that's where you when yeah. you said, is it good to give dividends? No, it's, I, I would agree with you in general. It's the best way to do good is to use your business model to do good. Your special strengths as a company, yeah. not yeah. to give money away. That could be done through the shareholders. Hmm. Exactly. But if you would assume that all doors are open and you have like all resources available, what would you then innovate or, or change? I think it would be... Um, it's sort of, I believe that much in culture because I, it directs everyone a little bit and no one can say what's best, what's the most intriguing problem, what could be done. No one knows at the company what could be done, but it, everybody wants to do good and it's allowed in mm. the culture. So to break the code how to get the cultures right would be the best innovation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true. I know when I think about, you know, the most important strategy for any company is apart from having a business strategy but is really what i would sum up as two words brand and culture because yeah. i see you know the brand is everything that you really do and everything you say and everything you can mm. promise as a company as such and then the culture where where that kind of comes from but if uh, if you would assume that you you know could give one piece of advice to to any leader out here, whatever way you define a leader, what would that advice be? If you would start by defining a leader as someone that uh, somehow have followers, <laughs> <laughs> uh, then you have an even bigger responsibility. I would think that even a, 
a person not being a leader has responsibility to do as much as possible to help as many as possible. If you have followers, you have an even more burden mm. to make sure that you're leading in a good direction. A general message, uh, I, I think it would be really question, are, am I leading this in a direction which is yeah. worth fighting for? Mm. Yeah, exactly. And that's a good point, because really, again, the culture is based on, you know, what's the purpose of the company, right? Mm. And if you as a like, a, almost like a tribe unite around that big purpose, then you get so many things right. Yeah, but I think even if you start off right, you, you can be diverted. If the drivers aren't correctly, if the culture isn't right, it could turn into anything because most business plans are wrong. Mm. So I think and eventually you start having metrics and more profit and you can do this and this and this and suddenly yeah. your yeah. the direction is has changed mm. and that as a leader to really question mm. this tobacco company i'm a great leader is this the best way to lead forward if you were to give advice to yourself let's say 15 years ago what would it be that in my case, happens to be more or less exactly when, <laughs> when I had this big turning point in my life. Uh, yeah. It took, at the end, I had a self-therapy uh, thesis to write. At the end of writing it, or when I finished writing it, I read a book called Happiness, which is about Dalai Lama's thinking. And from that uh -huh. reading, I basically gave myself the advice, which I'm, and, and that is trying to do what I'm, what I'm good at and turn the the fruits of it into a good direction. Mm. So that is probably the advice that I, I didn't, I got it from the book yeah. and, and the process of discussing with my wife possibly uh, because yeah. we were reading the book in parallel. Yeah. I'm, I'm still 15 years later pretty happy and I, that's the advice I give most people mm. if they ask me in, in a similar situation like I was. Yeah. So, so I, I believe that was wise. I hope I won't figure out in 30 years that, no, that was not the good advice <laughs> because that's what I'm trying to follow. How is happiness defined in that book? I've read it some time ago, but I can't remember. That's kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and it's also a long time ago since I read it. But the interesting thing I, I, is that the main message in the book is that your life, Vesna, is about... Your life is not about making me happy or the listening uh, listeners of this pod. It's about making you happy. Ah. So it's kind of, again, it's an egoistic... If you, if you stop there, it's kind of an yeah. egoistic driver. It's only that true happiness comes uh -huh. to a large part from helping others. So, exactly. we're, we're, and that's why the, where, the, where the good circle sort of turns up that you feel good when you're helping someone you know, elderly over the street and you're smiling at someone at the subway and they smile back and you give, when we discussed on beforehand, you, you have this pod and you meet people that you would like to meet, but you share it. And uh, so, so just giving yeah, is... Giving and sharing, yeah. Gives the egoistic win of becoming happy it feels good and it's more than just a joy ride it's a quick sort of um, pleasant feeling uh, it's it's deeper than that mm. yeah, but eventually i mean even if it's called when you say egoistic you know the notion is uh, kind of health negative but actually if you i think the biggest challenge for all people somehow is to learn to love yourself enough mm. and if you do that and if you come from a place where you have hmm. uh, respect and love for yourself, then you can only do good for others, hmm. right? Hmm. It comes natural somehow. Yeah. 
So it's like a, a full a full heart somehow overflowing. Then you have something to give. Yeah. If if the heart is you know, semi kind of full of love, then you're trying to look for something to put in there and to fill out the void, right? What do you think is now the most important thing for companies? As a person, you mm-hmm. uh, you should try to use your talent. Yeah. And as a company, you're placed somewhere. You can be you can you could be that tobacco company, but from that position, what could we do in order to make things better? Yeah. And that is is a different answer if, than if you had a white paper and had a startup. But there's one question mm. probably for each company, just like there is mm. for each person. Mm. And and just to finish off on, a, on an even higher uh, <laughs> scale, <laughs> what do you think the world needs most at this time? When you, you know, imagine that you're kind of flying up so mm. high up in the air that you really physically, you know, you really see the whole world, you know. What is it that we need the most? Then actually, it's probably almost you had, the, I would think, an answer in your question. It's actually that you see the whole world. It's like you had a small village in uh, yeah. before, but everything is interconnected. We have global problems and we all see each other. And we're not locally yeah. through filter bubbles or globally due to distance, we realize that everything is interconnected and we do pay respect in all directions. And it's, we have cultures, mechanisms in there that no one is misutilizing joint resources and, uh, mm. yeah, and everyone is to a good degree taking responsibility for what we have together. Mm. Yeah, we are all part of the whole, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that now we have mm. so much information, but yet mm. really to get that understandable and feel it would be fantastic if it was possible. And we have lots of techniques to do it, but yeah, mm. it's difficult. <laughs> Stefan, is there anything you want to add or some you know questions you were dying to respond to? <laughs> no, I'm really happy that you invited me. It was great <laughs> to be here. and. Uh, I can't take risking more questions being either, even more <laughs> godish-like questions of what the world needs. So I'm, I'm really happy. Thanks. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Stefan. To find out more about Stefan and his work, head to kivra.com. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.